find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. When I got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We're about to inspire you with the stories of real people. Welcome to A Current Life with your host, Jimmy Gould. In the next hour, you will meet one of the most interesting and successful people in the world. Listen as Jimmy gets their real story of success, both the highs and the lows. We hope that you take with you some of the ideas we will share today and embrace your own journey. Now, here's Jimmy. Welcome to another edition of A Current Life. I'm your host, Jimmy Gould, and I'm very excited and honored to introduce to you my very special guest, Kelly Putty. Kelly, welcome to A Current Life. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. For our audience, I'd like to give you a proper introduction. Kelly is the founder of Ordinary Hero Foundation. She spends her time traveling across the world, inspiring and empowering other ordinary heroes to change the world one child at a time. Kelly, this show is about life's journey and the ups and the downs that we all experience and overcome to get where each of us is meant to be. So on that note, I'd like to start with your early years and ask you, where did you grow up as a child and and just some of the experiences as a child that helped shape you in your journey and in your life? Gosh, well, well, we can start with where I grew up. I grew up in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, and um, small town. And just enjoyed living that small town life. Um, my father was an attorney. My mother was a housewife. And, you know, I had a pretty normal childhood, other than the fact that my parents were divorced. Um, and dealing with the things that came from divorce and all the entails with that was pretty normal um, as far as what I went through as a child dealing with that. But um, I would say... You know, as far as what shaped me in in my youth to become what I am today was um, it was a an attack that I went through when I was um, 16 years old. So, would you like me to go into that? Um, I, we probably um, the answer is yes at some point in time. I, I'm more interested, kind of even before that, kind of some of the people that inspired you. You know the. I mean, it, unfortunately, it seems like divorce is a is a common thread that runs through most people's lives today. And you know, it doesn't seem like anybody has a kind of a normal upbringing anymore. And certainly, we're seeing a lot of that 
you know, when we talk to people on the show. But uh, before we go into the other thing more as you got older, kind of as a real young child, what were some of the things that kind of, you know, uh, you liked and how you spent your time and, you know, and, and the people that influenced you, you know, uh, while, you're, while your parents were going through the divorce and those kinds of things when you were very young? Yes. Well, when I was very young, my time was split between my mother's home and my father's home. My mother lived out in the country, and my father lived in the city. So every single weekend, we visited my father, and every um, weekday, we stayed at my mother's in the country. And so my childhood consisted really of two different worlds. My mother was very lenient, and my father was very strict. And so as I became older, that became kind of an issue, um, especially approaching teenage years and me wanting to do what I wanted to do. And, you know, my mother would let me during the week and then my father wouldn't on the weekends. That became kind of a problem. But, um, but as far as when I was a young girl, you know, during the week, especially in the summers, I was playing with my three younger sisters in the cornfields and driving the tractor and mowing the the lawn and um, living this kind of country life we played out in the woods and just kind of the simple life. And then when I went to my father's on the weekends, um, he was a little bit more strict, so we had rules and guidelines and chores and things we had to do like that. But I, I still tried to go visit friends and um, did you, just have normal did you have dreams as a child about what you wanted to do when you grew up and aspirations? You know, I loved to sing when I was a child. My grandmother was a gospel singer, and um, she sang her whole life, and so I loved singing, and so that was kind of my escape. When things went bad, I would go lock myself in a room and just listen to the radio and turn it up really loud and sing, and I later was involved in a musical group in high school that allowed me to use um, that talent, but um, that was kind of, uh, I grew up thinking I was going to be this uh, country music singer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, dreams are what makes, are beautiful with children, and uh, I wanted to be a baseball player until I hurt my arm and make movies, so I managed to get to one of those two things, but uh, let me ask you, did you have a favorite hero growing up? You know, That's a a tough question as far as me growing up. Um, I'd have to say my grandmother was probably my Mm -hmm. hero growing up. She represented stability in my life. She and my grandfather were married over 50 years, and so when things got rough at home between the back and forth between my mom and my dad's, I would go visit her, and and she would make everything okay. You know, I... um it's funny because when we've been doing this show now for over a year and a half, and we ask a lot of the similar questions to people, you know, uh, across the country. And this country, you know, I think I've told you the show goes into 187 countries, and you know, it, it's really been a quite a treat to, to have a show like this and learn about people and their journey and ups and downs. But you know, we've often interviewed people who have gone through divorce, and they always say the toughest thing. And I went through a divorce. And my kids always say the same thing. It's hard to have two houses and remember to carry everything back and forth between the two houses. And whenever 
my kids would forget something or do something, they would blame it on me because I went through the divorce. So I always got a kick out of that. So I'm wondering, did that also was the case? For, was that the case for you as well? Yes, I think more than just the stuff going back and forth. Of course, that's part of it, but it's just the back and forth in general is hard on on children, especially when you are living with two different parenting styles. Right. You know, that right. may not always be the case for for people, but it was in my case, and and that's really what made it the most difficult. So as, as you as you grew and went through school and stuff like that, um, you know, uh, I, I think probably the thing that we learned when we were researching was more that you started to touch on that you faced uh, tremendous adversity. I think you were 16, if I remember correctly, or something like that. And, right. mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think I'm, uh, not so much about the particular thing, but maybe if you could give an overview of kind of what happened and then more importantly, how faith played played its a role in this, and kind of how you overcame it, and you know, um, if you can relate some of that, I think it would be helpful to our listeners. Yes. Um, well, and the reason I touched on that immediately when the show started, as far as when I think of my childhood, that is the most defining moment of my childhood because it was the most traumatic, and I know a lot of us, you know, you guys are going to hear my story, but. You know, as you know very well, everyone has a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people may not be as traumatic or detailed, but everyone has adversity that they go through in their life. And, you know, I'm no different, but we all have a choice of how we um, handle that and what we turn that into. And, um, you know, I was pretty clueless um, as a child as far as faith was concerned. I did not grow up in a Christian home. My father is still an atheist to this day. My mother um, was kind of grew up in a, a legalistic religious home, and so she kind of ran from that when she turned 18. And so we were never really introduced to religion, and so that was not that was not a part of my life. So when I, I went through this traumatic experience when I was 16 years old. Um, the way that it happened was I was on my way to work one evening. I was I was a very independent teenager. I loved to work, have my own money, do my own things um, throughout the week when I was visiting with my mother. Um, and so I was on my way to work. I worked at the Hallmark store in the mall, and um, I stopped at a convenience store to go in and grab some items. And when I came back out, I was approached from behind by a man with a knife um, who put the knife to my neck and told me if I said a word or screamed or anything, he would he would kill me right there. And so, you know, we're from a small town. These kind of things never happen, and right. we were never prepared what to do if they happened. Mm-hmm. And so I just completely froze with fear at that point, and... I even noticed someone on a payphone that was just probably a hundred yards away and was just too paralyzed with fear to even scream. And so, so they took me and uh, threw me in the floorboard of the front seat. The man that was driving the car had a mask, and um, and they drove me out to the country, uh, just telling me every horrible thing they were getting ready to do to me. And you know, at that point my whole world was spinning out of control. It's just one of those things that when you go through it, it feels like it's happening in slow motion. 
Right. Like this, you know, you just keep telling yourself this is not happening to me. It's not happening. Um, but it is. And, um, and so I endured about five hours of um, assault from those, both of those men. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a longer story than what I can get into, but sure. you know, through some miraculous events, I made it out of that alive. I thought I was going to die. You know, you hear stories all the time of, of these young girls who are taken and they're never seen again, and right. I believe I very well was supposed to have been one of those. Um, right. But they ended up picking up the wife of one of my attackers, and she ended up letting me out of the car um, through me begging and pleading with her. So, you know, because of her, I escaped the car and and ran to um, a police officer who just happened to be at the site um, that we were driving past. And, um, And so, you know, those two men are still in prison today, and that was in 1989. Well, hopefully, hopefully for a very long time. Yes, yes. Um, and they so, did. you know, when I, when I made it out of that, my whole world was just wrecked. Um, right. You know, I, I, I started letting go of everything that was normal. Um, to me, I felt like I was a completely different person, I felt like the person who went into that store was gone. The person that came out and was a, that was kidnapped and assaulted is now a completely different person. So I was trying to just pretend like the old me never existed. And so I was trying to get new friends and I had a boyfriend at the time and I got rid of him and wanted a new boyfriend. I wanted to sell my car and get a new car and... It was just anything that reminded me of the old, I wanted it gone, and I wanted to replace it with something new because I was just trying to forget that that had happened. Did you, did you find out during that time or later that, that, is not, uh, that your reaction to that is, is, is typical, or is that what happens in those situations? I'm sure, uh, I mean, is that what you found out through it? It, and that- it is, yes. Um, the way that I responded is pretty typical to victims. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's that whole you feel so dirty, you just want mm-hmm. everything, you know, you cannot wait to take a shower. You just want to scrub your whole body off. You know, you just sure. want everything gone. And so that, for me, and I think for a lot of victims, um, comes across in material things as well. You want to just erase this old part of yourself because you don't feel like that person even exists anymore. Yeah, I would think that in a way that um, you want to change because then otherwise you would have to take a long look at that and go through that. And and, and the thing that I'm really uh, would like to talk a little bit about is is how you go from feeling uh, or being a victim, which you certainly were in that in, in particular in that situation, uh, to going from there to this incredible journey of, of really creating a, 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 an unbelievable foundation and giving back to the world and, and inspiring and empowering people every day and changing, you know, the world and changing children. I mean, I mean, it's a remarkable story. Of, I always used to hear that adversity makes you stronger, doesn't kill you. And 
I've had my share of it in my life several times with very close people that have died and with things that have happened in my life. And I don't ever compare them because I don't think there are such things as comparisons, but I try to identify. And so I'm curious how that flipped around for you, what it took for you to do that and, and kind of, you know, understand a little bit about that journey. Cause I think that's really what our show is about. It's really not about the details of necessarily what you went through specifically, but more or less the consciousness that came into your life. You know, how much of a role did faith play any role in it? How did you become so clear in your path? Because you clearly are today and what you're giving back. The work you're doing is inspiring. And, you know, all I can do is thank you for the work you're doing because you're changing people's lives, which is what I believe is our greater meaning of life. And, um, so I'm just curious how that happened for you. Well, it it was a process. It happened one day at a time. But, um, you know, uh, I became very needy after that, you know, even before the attack because my relationship was strained with my father. Um, I had chosen to kind of cut that relationship off with him um, from about age 13 to 16, and so I was, um, I had relied heavily on a boyfriend at that time, and it's kind of like when young girls grow up without a close relationship with their father, and they don't have someone telling them they're the most beautiful person in the world, they'll go find a boy who will, and so that was kind of my pattern growing up through my teenage years, and so after the attack, um, You know, I did not have faith at the time, and so I was not turning to God, but I was turning to yet my boyfriend again. And so I was thinking, okay, if if I'm with him, then everything will be okay. He'll take the pain away. And, you know, and that wasn't the case. Um, I was still left with these emotional scars trying to know, you know, how know how to piece my life back together. Um, And, you know, and... It just wasn't happening, and so out of were you, my were you aware that it wasn't happening at the time? I mean, did you feel a void at the time, and even though you were trying to fill that void that way, it wasn't working, and did it take a conscious decision to end that and go a different direction? It did, and my conscious decision um, came out of my neediness towards my boyfriend at the time, and everything that I was going through and wanting to be with him constantly and him take the pain away. I was, um, the attack happened when I was 16. We had dated, and I was now 17 at the time, a senior in high school. I had kind of felt like my life was pretty much back on track as far as moving forward in school. I had taught myself how to push the pain um, back to where it just wasn't, a focus, but I still had not turned it over to God. But what I was doing was still relying heavily on my boyfriend, and then I ended up pregnant at um, the age of 17 with still three months left of my senior year of high school. And this was after I felt like things had gotten back on track. I had just been crowned homecoming queen, Miss Christian County High School, and all of these, um, you know, awards had been given to me, and now, you know, I was pregnant. And so, yet again, I was faced with shame and guilt, and now what am I going to do? I need to hide this from people. And 
But, you know, my boyfriend, who's now my husband at the time, we loved each other. We talked it through. We decided we were going to get married. Um, the fact that I was pregnant in the first place was a miracle. I, I um, incurred some medical problems after the rape, and they told me um, that I would not be able to have children. So the, the fact that I was, it was just, it was a whirlwind, you know. And so, um, but it wasn't until after we got married, we got married um, pretty much the same month that I graduated high school, and we moved to Lexington, Kentucky, where he was going to college. And I was 17 at the time and just pretty much clueless and still battling with emotions that I was dealing with from the attack, and now I'm pregnant, and now I'm this young wife and soon-to-be mom. And so it wasn't, you know, it was when I had already turned 18. I had not had the baby yet. I was about eight months pregnant, and my husband and I had started going to a church in Lexington. And he had taken me to church several times, um, he was involved in church. I never had been, so my only affiliation with church was when I went with him. And so he made sure that we got into a church when we got married and moved away. And it was in that church during a service one evening that the pastor was giving a demonstration of um, just Abraham sacrificing his was going to sacrifice his son, right. and the angel came and, and stopped him. And then he went on to say, but no one stopped Jesus, and he went through that sacrifice for, for me and for you so that we don't have to carry the burdens of this world. And just the way that he portrayed that message, um, mm-hmm. finally something hit home with me. I think because I did not grow up in a religious home or with any religion, so to speak, I wasn't questioning it, questioning it at that point. I was so ready to get rid of this pain. And someone was telling me, here is a God who understands you know, what you've been through. Um, he himself has gone through pain and understands and will take this and carry this for you. And so at that time, I was just, that was my moment. I broke. I went down front. I was bawling my eyes out, and I just said, here, take all of this junk, and I do not want it back. And it was very liberating for me. I did feel this weight. I mean, it's kind of a cliche. People say, oh, you feel the weight lift off your shoulders. But it is true. I mean, he will carry that burden. And I know a lot of us will try to give our burdens to God, but then we'll try to pick them back up for a period of time, you know, and carry them ourselves again and start back with all of that worry and the thoughts and the memories that, I can honestly say that once I handed all of that mess over to the Lord, He has very graciously carried it for me all of these years, and um, I did see with with a new with new eyes, with a new heart, with a new soul. He healed my mind, my body, my spirit, and it was just very refreshing. And so, it's pretty cool when that happens, isn't it? It, it is, and it's really amazing. You know, it's it's hard to explain. You know, I, I know people, you can't really understand it until you go through it, but it is right. it's very necessary in life. Well, I, I mean, truly, that's the blessing that you're given, and it comes in strange packages sometimes. And, and I know I was given it, and it changed my life and shaped everything I do, and I'm grateful for it. Uh, I could always say I wish it had happened differently or certain people were still around, but, you know, 
unfortunately, God works in mysterious ways. That's but right. uh, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I'm very spiritual, and I feel that sometimes, you know, you're dealt a certain hand, and then all of a sudden a higher power steps in and takes it over, and it's just because you can't handle it anymore. And all of a sudden, all these great things come into your life and come in, and all of a sudden, you're changing people's lives and giving back. So I, I'm, um, uh, first of all, I understand fully what you're saying, and I'm grateful that that happened to you and that you found that. I want to, uh, and I want to thank you for sharing that. I know that's not easy, and I know that, you know, um, I think what's important is is teaching people that it is possible to overcome adversity, and it'll come in different ways. So thank you for sharing yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to. Um, we're going to take a break in a few minutes, but I do want to. When we come back, I want to focus on Ordinary Hero Foundation, uh, which is a nonprofit child advocacy organization whose goal is to encourage and provide a way for every person to make a difference in the life of a child in need through adoption, missions, or local outreach, and uh, really creating awareness for the orphan crisis in the world. And you're more or less a connector between those looking to make a difference and the children who need your help by promoting and providing outreach opportunities adoption awareness and availability. Um, And then you talk a lot about that every child needs a hero, wants a hero, and is looking for a hero, and that we believe that the hero is you. So let us help you get connected to the child that needs you. Uh, When we come back, I really want to know as much about that. I do want our listeners to know that they can go to your website, which is ordinaryhero.org, ordinaryhero.org. If they have questions or they want to contribute or they want to, learn more, they can go there and meet Kelly Putty and the work that she's done around the world. And um, when we come back from this commercial break, uh, I'd like to talk, Kelly, long and hard about Ordinary Hero, a little bit also about Life Center that um, came on the um, heels of Beth Ratliff Venable and Mike Venable's wife, who's a good friend of both of ours. And um, so stay tuned. This show is brought to you by um, Pure Romance, uh, and uh, Ad Baseball Network. This is Jimmy Gould with my special guest, Kelly Putty. Stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. When I got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info.
You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to A Current Life. This is Jimmy Gould, your host, with my special guest, Kelly Putty, the founder of Ordinary Hero Foundation. Kelly, tell us a little bit about your vision of Ordinary Hero and kind of how that came about and uh, some of the work that you're doing with it. Well, it all came about by accident. Um, I became a mother of five biological children. Um, You know, as I said before, I was not supposed to have children because of what I went through um, with the attack. And then, you know, the Lord blessed me, and then we had to ask him to turn it off (laughs) because it just kept coming. Um, So I had my five children by the time I was 26. And, you know, during that time, my... I was not thinking about anything except just juggling babies, Um, but it did come to a point to where I kind of felt that my children were rotten, so to speak, as children get. They just were consumed with whining and themselves and wanting more and more. And so my husband and I decided that we were going to take our kids out to downtown Nashville where we had seen some homeless people on the streets, and we were just going to... Um, give them some um, little muffins that I had made and some coffee and just let our kids see that and experience that. And it was just this whim of an idea that we had. But it worked tremendously. We took our kids down there. We got out as a family and we approached these people that were literally laying on the, the vents of the streets to stay warm. And it was my children that handed them this homemade muffin and a cup of coffee and the, and the people just would always be so gracious and say, God bless you, and thank you so much. And sometimes we'd hear their stories. And, you know, my kids just kind of stared at these people like deer in headlights and couldn't believe that people lived like this. And so that really made an impact on the kids. And, you know, there was a, a Chinese man that they met sleeping on a bench, and they named him, nicknamed him Jackie Chan, and they prayed for Jackie Chan for about two weeks after that event. And so... You know, we saw the impact of just what giving, um, in the, even just a small way, had on our kids. And I later was leading a women's Bible study. And, you know, again, us women like to talk and complain. And I just kind of felt like the, the study wasn't going anywhere because we couldn't, could not get past these women's issues. And so I decided to surprise them one night and I told them all to go get in my van that we were just kind of going to go on a field trip and my idea was to go downtown again find the homeless people and let these women get out and talk to these homeless people give them something to eat and I drove and drove and and could not find one single homeless person on the street it was in the middle of winter and my plan was coming to a complete fail because I could not find any of them. And I, I stopped at what I thought was the only mission in town. That ended up being the men's mission, and they told me about the women's mission. I went over to the women's mission, and with this group of ladies, they let us in. And before I knew it, I turned around and I saw each of the women in my group talking to a, a young homeless mom. 
and what shocked me the most were the homeless children that were at this homeless shelter. I was completely clueless. I had lived in Nashville for over 10 years at this point and did not know that there was homeless kids living just 10 miles away from my home. And so that was very eye-opening. It did wonders again with my group, just being able to show them that they really don't have problems like they think they do um, when they re- when they meet people that truly do have real problems and don't have a bed to lay their head down at night, don't have food to eat. And so it was after that that I just started going down just on my own with my family, my friends, some people from my church, and just serving down at the homeless shelter. And, you know, different people started coming on board saying they wanted to help. And during this process, we were also um, planning an adoption. And, um, you know, my heart was wanting to give to a child that we had decided we wanted to adopt internationally and the child wasn't here yet, so I found just this purpose in giving of my heart to these people at the mission while I'm waiting to give to this child that's across the world. And so, you know, that's how both the local outreach and then the international kind of started at the same time. Um, we ended up helping, you know, some some young moms that were at the mission, we actually ended up um, helping place some of their children up into homes that for adoption. And, I mean, just crazy things were happening while I was still waiting for my own personal adoption to take place. I have a question. How were your uh, five children about adopting the sixth child from Ethiopia? How, how, how did they, did they interface with you on that? Did you ask them how they felt about it, or was this something that you and your husband decided to do, and then you would just kind of educate them about it? What were the reactions? Well, we decided to do that after we had been serving locally, and so their eyes were kind of already opened to just, Right. children in need, and they they got that and they connected with that, and we saw that that was driving a passion in them to want to do more and want to help, and so when we talked about adopting a child from Ethiopia, they were all on board. They were excited, um, and it ended up taking a long time, so that kind of um, that process took four years. We went through three different countries. We later landed on Ethiopia, but it was amazing what God did to us and our worldview and what we thought things should look like in the midst of that four years. We started out thinking we were going to adopt a two-year-old little girl from the Ukraine who would fit right into our family, look like everyone, and, you know, my older two were girls, so I was ready for another little girl. Um, I have four other um, boys. I had three other boys at the time, and so... You know, but what's funny is four years later, the two-year-old little girl from Ukraine turned into a four-year-old little boy from Africa. And just that process of the wait, you know, when you are waiting for something, God will do miraculous things in your life through the wait. And the wait is agonizing. You want to pull your hair out. You question God. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we went round and round saying, Are we even supposed to adopt? You know, wouldn't this have taken place by now? Why is everything taking so long? But in the end, it was taking so long because the road led to our son, the one that he had picked out for our family. And then what that whole experience of adoption 
did to our hearts and what we saw when we went to Ethiopia is what really sparked all of Ordinary Hero starting. So had we given up during the wait, then Ordinary Hero would not be here. Our son wouldn't be here. And so there's something very powerful when you are waiting and trusting and believing to just hang on to that hope, that faith, that God is going to work it out and that his plan is always best. But there, it really does come down to it's not your time, but God's time, doesn't it? I mean, exactly. you know, you, and that it's for a reason that we're never aware of when we're going through it, and all of a sudden it hits you at the end. I mean, uh, you know, it's a hard conversation to have with people who haven't been through it, because uh, really faith is something you can't measure, you can't say, you know, it's, it's, it's believing in something you, that doesn't exist, and or it may exist in a different place, but you can't pinpoint it there's no proof to it and i think that's what faith is all about i know for me i've always had a strong faith or i shouldn't say that i had a strong faith when i went through my adversity and it changed my life dramatically and opened up a whole new world that i don't think i would have ever had i certainly wouldn't be doing this show i certainly wouldn't have built you know a hundred businesses and changed people's lives with different work that we do here in our company and with around the around the country but the uh you know, it's a miraculous thing because now you, I think you end up being where you're supposed to be and it kind of fits and it may not, you know, it was funny you made the comment, well, I want the child to look like the other children. Well, you know, that would, that would be the normal feeling. I mean, I've thought about that a lot also, but, you know, it doesn't work that way. And, and I guess you've defined, I was going to ask you what your biggest challenge in creating Ordinary Hero was, but I think you've defined it in that you're in a, system you know that that just takes time and 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 you can't lose hope during that system in fact other things may open up as a result of it uh, i'm curious what your definition of the word hero is because it's such a big part of what you do well it's funny you ask because sometimes we get a lot of slack for that terminology in our title people say oh how dare you call yourself a hero but you know the term hero is simply, for us, is just setting yourself aside for another. You know, I have seen so many lives change, um, and it's all through serving. And it is through seeing a need in front of you and acting on that need and not passing the need off to someone. Someone else will handle that. Oh, that's so sad, that situation. I hope somebody helps that person. Well, it's it's you that steps up and helps that person. And to me, that's what a, a hero is. And, and we don't leave it with just the term hero. It's ordinary hero. It's the ordinary people. You know, I feel like I almost laugh because if God can use me, he can use anybody. I am a stay-at-home mom, you know, with, with now six children. And, you know, I did, do not have a college education um, because I chose to give birth to my daughter, um, instead and start my family and I never went back to get my education but you know I'm making sure that all of my children now are receiving their educations and what they are seeing come out of this story of ordinary hero is just impactful and you know it is the most ordinary common people that I run across are the ones that are making the most extraordinary differences in these kids lives and I have seen People go on our teams. I've seen a waitress who is a 26-year-old waitress travel across the world with us to Ethiopia, not knowing her purpose in life. And she then 
goes over, her eyes are opened as she walks through this trash dump and watches these kids digging through the trash to find food. Her heart is broken. She can't believe what she's seeing. She goes home, packs her bags, and moves to Ethiopia and finds purpose in changing lives for a solid year and a half after that. Um, She became our feet on the ground. She literally transformed an orphanage where she saw starving children, went in, just through our advocacy and our support, we were able to let her be the feet on the ground and change this whole orphanage and lives were saved. And so this was just one one story. There are so many stories just like hers where people me, serve and their eyes are opened and changed forever. Let me ask you, uh, what? Um, a couple questions. One, uh, are there currently how many heroes or how many children currently have a hero in your organization and how many children are still waiting for one? And then secondly, kind of for the audience our entire audience that's listening around the globe, what are some of the ways they can get involved in Ordinary Hero through their local community? Well, as far as the number of children and heroes and all of that, there really is no way to count. We are an advocacy organization as far as speaking up for waiting children. My son was a waiting child, which means he was typically waiting children or older, older orphans who are overlooked because of their age and or a specific medical need. And my son was only four at the time that we adopted him, but he was already placed on the waiting child list just because of his age. Everybody wants the babies, you know. And and so now my heart is stirred for, of course, the waiting children, and that we make that a point of um, something that we do on our trips when we go over, I make it a point to take my teams to the orphanages that have waiting children. That means their paperwork is ready. They could be adopted, but no one has looked at their profile or accepted them. And so they are still waiting for a family. And so we get to go in there with our teams and and see these kids and play with these kids and, and be a voice for these kids. And so now it's not just me coming back and trying to speak up. It's a whole team of people we took over 100 people just this summer to Ethiopia between our five or six teams that we took over. Um, and now you've got all of those voices speaking up for these orphans who literally cannot speak for themselves. And so as far as the number of people, we have people that um, see the waiting kids on our website and they choose to adopt um, after essentially meeting them through our website. Um, some of those tell us that they found them through our site. Some don't. Um, we hear about it later. We have people find children that they want to sponsor um, through our teams and our trips, and so we, we have child sponsorships. Um, and then we also just create relationships. I can't tell you just, especially I've been over back and forth to Ethiopia, I think 13 times now just in the past four years, but... Um, the, the kids over there that call me mom and can't wait for me to return, and it's the relationships, and I'm seeing that more and more develop within our teams. We take these teams over, and, you know, James 1.27 just says, pure and undefiled religion before God is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to mm. keep oneself from being spotted by the world. And so there's just something powerful in going over there and just simply visiting these orphans. And with the orphans, you find the widows. They, the orphans, the widows, they kind of go hand in hand. So it's interesting that that 
that verse just says, if you truly want to know what pure and undefiled religion is, um, it says, go and visit orphans and widows in their distress um, and don't be spotted by the world. And that's really what our mission is, is to take people over to open their eyes, whether it's locally, whether it's abroad, and let them see the power that comes from just simply serving, just simply walking into an orphanage, wrapping your arms around this child who has no one in the whole wide world and seeing that hope and that life light up in that child's eyes simply because you're there. And there's just something powerful about going and being there and being present um, for this child who has no one else. And, and then I keep seeing team members return year after year because it's that one child that they take home with them in their heart that they can't let go of. And so they return the next year. And there's that child still waiting, um, but they have become that special friend or that sponsor. Even if they can't adopt that child, that child knows that someone in this world believes in them and loves them and thinks that they're special. And there's just something really life-changing, not only for the, the child that needs the it's ordinary you. hero, so to speak, but it's life-changing for them. for them, for the person who's giving of themselves. Well, you're an amazing woman, and I can tell you that uh, the work you're doing is is really special. I, I do want to take a minute and remind people to go to ordinaryhero.org, and donations can be mailed to Ordinary Hero Foundation, comma, Inc., Post Office Box 1945, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37024, and you certainly can contact Current Life uh, at Voice America. Um, and we'll pass on the information. Again, ordinaryhero.org. Uh, I want to uh, talk to you about another amazing woman that was, um, that was kind of the, the life force behind the Life Center. And I'd like to understand, you know, the, kind of how that came about. Uh, uh, Beth Ratliff Venable was a loving wife and mother of four who lost her life to a brain disease in August of 2012. She had just become an adopted mother to a beautiful son from Ethiopia months before she lost her life. And because of her heart for Ethiopia and children in need, donations were collected on her behalf, which turned into the Beth Venable Memorial Fund. And the Life Center is made possible by this fund. Um, Mike is a friend of both of ours, and, and I wanted to understand this mission and kind of what was behind this mission and kind of how you all came together on this thing. Well, it really was such an unbelievable time um, last year. Uh, you know, I was friends with Beth. I had known them. They're, they're from my hometown, both he and Michael, she and Michael. And, um, you know, she became sick, and we all just knew that she would be healed. Well, she wasn't. She died. And, you know, she had just brought her son home. They had just adopted themselves from Ethiopia. And so everyone knew of her heart and her passion for orphans and her affiliation with, with Ordinary Hero as far as us inspiring them to adopt and whatnot. So Michael just did a simple gesture of, you know, asking people rather than send flowers, let's honor Beth's life by making a donation to the Beth Venable Memorial Fund that Ordinary Hero set up for her so that we could collect those donations and give to the children in need in Ethiopia on behalf of Beth's life. And so, you know, we just, we thought it was, it would be something nice to do. It was Michael's idea, and so I set the the page up for him. And it truly was unbelievable. Within 
two weeks how much money had come in to this uh, memorial fund out of people just loving Beth, first of all, and loving her heart for orphans and wanting to honor that. And so when the money came in, she passed away in August. We took a trip to Ethiopia and to Cape Town, South Africa in October, and we took Michael with us because we wanted his feet to be on the ground and decide where he wanted this money to go on behalf of his wife. And so um, it was through that trip that the foundation started for this life center. We started talking about how we would love a place in Ethiopia that our teams could base out of. It's just a place for serving. It's um, our teens can stay there and serve. Our adoptive families can stay while they're going through the adoption process. And it's just people who are giving of themselves, giving back, and it's this kind of tool of a building, so to speak, um, as a base for that. And so out of that money, the Life Center was started. We also gave um, scholarships to children in need in Cape Town, South Africa. They're... Um, there are two videos on our website that document that trip. It truly is amazing. Grab your tissues <laughs> before you watch it. Um, but it's just amazing to see the lives that have been changed because... Well, what, are, what are those websites that uh, our audience can go to? You, well, um, they can go to our website, OrdinaryHero.org, and they can go to the media page, and they will find the videos on the media page that document okay. our time with Michael in, um, in Africa and it tells their story and how this whole thing came about. But we have a, a vision for this Life Center. It all just started last month. It just got off the ground last month. We're very excited to launch it. Um, it is a beautiful place for people to come and stay while they are in Ethiopia. Teams can stay there. We just had a medical team come last month. It was our first medical team that we had partnered with, and I absolutely loved it. Um, went, took them into the orphanages. They set up their camp and just did all kinds of medical work. Um, we hope to be able to have outreaches out of the Life Center to where we can actually bring children to the center who are hard to um, kind of take care of in their village because of the crowds that it draws. We can actually bring them to the center, give them, you know, medical treatment, set up little day camps, that kind of thing. But there's all kinds of high hopes for this life center. We're very excited that it's launched. And it's all because of Beth's life. You walk in, in that lobby there's Beth's picture. We have a life wall that people can donate on behalf of their loved one um, who has passed away or just donate in general, and we will put their name up on the life wall. And so you just walk in and you just sense the life in this building. So they can donate to the Life Center Foundation by mailing to Ordinary Hero Foundation, Post Office Box 1945, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37024? That's right. And or that's they can contact or, mm -hmm. or go to OrdinaryHero.org and, and get more information as well, exactly, right? Exactly, yes. Um, we have about six, seven minutes left in the show. I want to talk a little bit about, obviously, the adoption of a child is obviously changed your entire life, as did some of the other things we've talked about. I'm curious, as you look back on your life, was there a particular, um, you know, moment in building this that you're the most proud of, uh, you know, that as you look at it, kind of was your wow moment in, in building this the foundation and, 
you know, something that just stands out above everything else that you just went, wow, I mean, I can't believe. And obviously your faith and your incredible journey with God and all that, but, but specifically was there something that you just can, can point to that just stands out for you? You know, it's hard. Um, I do have one defining moment, which was how we came up with the name Ordinary Hero, and I was in the homeless shelter here in Nashville, and I saw a very pregnant, young, beautiful girl sitting over by herself on one of the the pews, and I went over and sat down beside her and um, just started asking her her story, why she was there, and she was, it was a long story, but... um, you know, she was telling me that she was due to have her baby within two weeks and she was going to leave the baby at the hospital and walk away under the Safe Haven Act because she knew she couldn't keep her baby. And I just talked to her and asked her if she'd like me to help her find a, a home and a family for her baby. Um, she said she would love that. She had no idea how to go about that. So I just assured her that I could help. Um, and... You know, and she looked at me and she said, thank you so much, you are my hero. And I just, I looked at her and I said, oh girl, I'm nobody's hero, I'm as ordinary as they come. And she said, well then you are my ordinary hero. Oh and, my God. You know, and, and two weeks later she gave birth, the, the new adoptive family that I had, um, you know, put into place with this whole thing, took the baby home from the hospital and now that child has a, a beautiful life that she's living out and uh, we were able to help take care of, of the mom and you know I just look at moments like that simply because I was there you know had I sure. not been there that never would have happened and you know just her telling me that I was some kind of ordinary hero only because I was offering to help you know and so I just see that anybody's life can can bring joy to another person you just first of all have to be there you have to show up where there is need and just um, just simply by showing up, miracles take place. Lives get changed. You know, our motto is you can't change the whole world by helping one person. So at that point, a lot of people give up and they just say, what's the point? There's so much need in the world. You can't help everybody. So what's the point in doing anything? But you can change the whole world for that one person. And so if every single person would just step up and change the world for one, then we truly can make a difference in this world. Well, we got about a minute. I'm going to ask you a question we ask everybody that's on the show, and that is, as you look back on your journey, uh, and this has to be a short answer because we're unfortunately out of time, and I'm, I would love to have you back and, and talk further about your foundation, but I'd ask you, what do you feel is the meaning of life or the greater purpose in life with everything you've been through? The meaning of life is giving of yourself. It's as simple as that. We all have something to give. It does not matter what you've been through in life, what you have experienced what the outcome has is, each day is a new day, and there is someone that you can bless, even if it's just giving a hug to someone you know, in an orphanage or someone that you met in, in a homeless shelter. It doesn't matter. Everybody has something that they can give. Well, you're an amazing person. Our, our time is up with Kelly Putty. I want to thank you, Kelly, for sharing your journey with us. It certainly inspired me, and I know the many listeners across the globe that we reach uh, – during the show and, and throughout the year after the show. Uh, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning into A Current Life in the Voice America Variety Channel, our sponsors, Pure Romance and Adspace Ball Network. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, signing off, and please join us next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern for our next episode 
And until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with hope, inspiration, and success. And Kelly, to you, all the best, all much success with Ordinary Hero. And on behalf of all of us on this planet, I want to thank you for your, for your amazing journey, your amazing work, and wish you Godspeed. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks again for joining us for A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please tune in to another great program with your host, Jimmy Gould, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink, too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info.